Otherwise, humble your heart before heaven with me, please. Father in the heavens, you, you know very well the seriousness and gravity of the material that I'm bringing forward today. Only you know, Father, the, the profound ways in which you prepared me for this day. But still, I feel a need to pray for me and the brotherhood, all the saints here, the children, visitors. It is written, Father, that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the witness we speak. We ask, Father, that you bind the enemy, all his kingdom, command them to have no influence over us. Please command, Father, that uh, only good come about as a result of these materials and no evil come about as a result of them. We ask protection on every visitor, every child, every person, every saint. We appeal to you as disciples of Yahshua. We follow him. We know him. Of course we want to know him more than you too. But as disciples of him, in his name, we appeal to you, Father, through Yahshua the Messiah. Amen and hallelujah. Amen. You can all be seated. Well, twice in one day. That, I'm, I'm hoping this material will go by quickly. I'm really glad the children were sent to separate classes. I was a little worried about that. This is, some, this is going to be uh, some serious historical overview. And the important gravity of this may not uh, sink in until a later date. That's fine with me. The uh, intention here is to get you thinking. But uh, it'll be a, uh, I'm going to show you the title. Evolution of the Devil, Part 1, Sabbath Confusion. So I'm going to admit up front, Evolution of the Devil. I've chatted with some of you about this. That title is clickbait, all right? When people scan the YRM webpage and looking for something, I guarantee you're going to get a lot of clicks on this one because people seem to be, they want, they're interested in evil. You know, they say, oh, what's that about? Evolution of the Devil. But we don't want to study evil, but we do want to study how we get into our own messes and how mankind has gotten into the mess that he's in. We'll be studying the history of Sabbath. You've got to know your Bible to follow. You won't be flipping through your Bible a lot. Now, on occasion, I have looked to my friend and brother, Jose Gonzalez, to find a scripture for me if one comes to mind. And uh, you're off, without flattery, you're awfully good. You've blessed me so much, Jose. On occasion, I might summon a scripture either by turning there myself or asking for help from the moderator. Here's what uh, I'll be showing. The enemy is not everywhere. You know, I, I got to believe everybody here knows what I'm talking about when I rebut this idea that the enemy is everywhere. Haven't you heard people say, the enemy's working overtime on me. He's making a lot of bad things happening for me. Well, you know very well there's somebody on the other side of town thinking the same thing. The, the enemy isn't everywhere, and he's not omniscient. In fact, in the big scheme of things, he's, he's, kind of a, he's kind of dumb. He's really kind of dumb. He has no power except what is allowed by Yah. And often we invite that evil into our lives. I mean, that's, that's where he gets a lot of his power is when we make the mistake of inviting evil. Come on in. Yeah, yeah, I like this. And not knowing that there's poison attached to that attractive thing. He comes as an angel of light. I'm going to ask you to look at a psalm with me, Psalm 125, verse 3. 
I'm certain that you've read this many times before, but I'm going to give you a meaning, an interpretation that you likely have never heard before. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. The rod there is a symbol of authority, power, oversight. The rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands to iniquity. The word lot there refers to your land. Haven't you ever heard the expression, giving ground to the devil, giving ground to Satan? There's different ways people have uh, appropriated language and symbolic language to explain this. Uh, kind of like that unwanted salesman. He gets, a, he gets a toe in the door, then a foot in the door, then a leg in the door. Pretty soon he's asking you for a glass of water. He's in your vestibule. Can't get rid of the guy. Well, there's a saying out there, trouble is a lot easier to get into than out of. Would you guys agree with that? Trouble's a lot easier to get into than out of. And when you invite the enemy into your life by sin, by foolish choices... By compromises, it's hard to shake that stuff off. You know how it is when you're in trouble, you have more temptations, more temptations to get out of that trouble. When you allow the enemy into your life, he has more power, and then the righteous wind up putting their forth their hands into iniquity. There's all kinds of warnings in the scriptures about the armor of Yahweh. A wise man once said that we all have about as much of Yahweh in our lives as we want. For this first high day, I'm just your brother, I'm just your friend. But this high day, wouldn't it be nice if every one of us said, the time for talk is ended. The time for talk is ended. I want as much of Yahweh in my life as I can possibly get. Because we really do have as much of him in our lives as we want. And as I've made my way through the fellowship over the years, teleconferences with brethren, unity conference, you hear people say, I want more of Yahshua. I want to be more like him. Well, for me, the time for talk has ended. What about you? Some of you have come a long way. When you look at the Messianic call, it's very severe. You've got you to forsake all for him. You've got to love him more than your closest relatives. He doesn't paint a pretty picture. He talks about carrying your gallows daily. He talks about dying to yourself daily. I heard about a preacher who once said that if he wanted a, if he wanted a quality turnout for a prayer meeting, he scheduled it for 5.30 in the morning at the Forest Preserve. He might not get a big turnout, but he knows the people who show up are serious. Make it hard, and you find out who the serious ones are. Well, that's how Yahshua did it. The call to discipleship uh, has a lot going on, has a lot riding on it. And you might find a deferral of uh, what you want to do, dreams of yours, maybe even wealth. Getting the enemy's rod off of your land is serious business. The enemy doesn't have all that much power. 
I'm, for the sake of this presentation, I'm more worried about the power that mankind has given the enemy. The enemy's first temptation to mankind was to be like Elohim. Go ahead, eat that fruit. You'll be like Elohim. You'll know what he knows. You'll know right from wrong. Go ahead, be like Elohim. The history of mankind is the tragic history of a bunch of cheap shortcuts, a quest for cheap shortcuts. Knowing what we know about Yahweh, his greatness, his glory, his standards, his laws, it's absurd on the face of it to think you could know right from wrong by eating a piece of fruit. You talk about a cheap shortcut, but that's what the history of mankind is, a quest for shortcuts. Sideshow, side gripe of mine. Part of that is the quest for cheap labor. Always looking for shortcuts. Go ahead, eat that fruit. You'd be like Elohim. That was Satan's problem. I want you to think about this, friends. The first temptation to mankind is, come on, be, eat that fruit. You'd be like Elohim. Well, that was Satan's problem. And every observant Bible student will tell you the classical interpretation of the prophets is that the evil one's intention was to be like Elohim. I just want to be equal. I just want to be equal. That's fair. I just want to be equal. Isn't that fair? Let's think about this. The enemy really isn't that smart. The enemy of your soul isn't that smart. He comes in there tempting them with the same thing that tempted him. Because that's all he knows. Let's try this. Let me tap the brake here. I'm trying to develop uh, an evangel that would work in this age. The Bible documents the oldest religion in the world. One of the things that characterizes it is that the great spirit being who knows all, sees all, controls all, the supreme being, he demands there be no pictures of him. It's a real distinctive part. But there's something else distinctive about this book. Not only does it reveal the oldest religion in the world, but it also reveals the second oldest religion in the world. If you find another religion out there that tells you what the second oldest religion in the world is, let me know. But the second oldest religion of the world is deification of yourself. Making yourself the Almighty. Making yourself the one to decide right from wrong. And boy, isn't that the problem. Isn't that the problem. Just like you have in the very last verse in the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, people are being beat up, chopped up, murdered. All kinds of foul things happen. At the end of the book of Judges, you find out why. It says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right there in the last verses of Judges. The deification of the self is the oldest religion in the world. It seems like most of the world is into it. I'll decide for myself what's right and wrong. You know you're a disciple of Yahshua when you say no to yourself. Well, the enemy's first temptation is still the oldest temptation. Go ahead, be like Elohim. You know, that's what I'm into. In this presentation, which I think is going to go pretty easily for you, we're just going to talk about the Sabbath. 
The enemy's strategy has been to study mankind and develop means of taking us down over time. It's, it's been a long, dragged-out thing. It isn't like he's this super genius um, who's got all these angles and answers. He's had to develop strategies over time. Maybe you remember the first time you tried to ride a bike. You got better at it over time, didn't you? We're going to use this history of the Sabbath, hit some high points about the Sabbath to get us thinking. And uh, toward the end, I must say, I've been kind of emboldened by the conversation we had at fellowship today. But um, we're going to find that mankind is so far from revival, uh, it, it, it is kind of bleak out there. By studying the history of the Sabbath, we will see a gradual plan to distance man from Yah's kingdom. Now, here is an outline of the whole thing, and I'm going to go through these bullet items one by one. It would have been fun to break them out into individual pages, but at least you'll know where I'm going. Let's talk about the Sabbath. <coughs> when we enter the marketplace of ideas, and we confront our Christian friends, we're never going to be sure which of two positions they will take. Some Christians say, there is no Sabbath. There never was a Sabbath after the Messiah's time. Sabbath's all done away with. And then you have other Christian friends who will say, oh, there's a Sabbath, but it's on Sunday. So they're blowing hot and cold. In odd number of days, there is no Sabbath. On alternate days, there is a Sabbath, but it's on Sunday. And some of you um, might remember that debate that was on the Internet a few years ago. I felt I could have done better than that guy. To me, this is a slam dunk. This is verifying Sabbath is one of the very easiest things in the world. Please excuse me for a moment. Sabbath was revealed in the Garden of Eden. Right after Yahweh made man, he kept the Sabbath. Yahshua said the Sabbath was made for man, so we know it was revealed to mankind. We'll come, if I remember, we'll come back to that remark of Yahshua's in a, in a bit. But it's evident that mankind forgot the Sabbath. Because by the time you get to the Israelite exodus, you notice they're not sure which day is Sabbath. Yahweh has to synchronize it with the provision and withholding of manna. That's how they knew where the Sabbath was. And I've been challenged by this. Well, one guy at work said, how do you know which day is uh, Sabbath? You know, maybe hasn't time been lost? Haven't they kind of slipped in there on anything? And the answer is no. The Sabbath was revealed by synchronizing the delivery and withholding of manna. That's how they locked it in. And the Jews have been keeping track of that for all time. We have a second witness, by the way, of the, what's the true seventh day, and that is through the auspices of the Catholic Church. You see, they insist that Sabbath is on the first day of the week and that they diligently avoid Sabbath on the seventh day. So they inadvertently help us keep track of the seventh day because they're trying to avoid it. All right, it's kind of funny how that works out. Israel is reminded of the true Sabbath at Sinai. And we have evidence that they forgot it. Uh, when they came back from the Babylonian captivity, 
You could see them trying to, to do commerce on Friday night. And Nehemiah blew his top. He said, isn't this the reason why he got kicked out in the first place? We forgot about the Sabbath and some of these other things. So they forgot about the Sabbath and they had to be retrained again. So Israel forgot the Sabbath observance. Now interestingly, we talk about the lost tribes of Israel. There's two ways we could have kept track of the ancient Israelites. The ten northern tribes disappeared, Judah and Benjamin, under the banner of Judah, plus some Levites, they maintained their identity. We had two chances to keep track of the northern Israelites. One is circumcision. They've lost it. They forgot it. The other one is Sabbath keeping. They lost it. They forgot it. Okay. <coughs> We're going to get into some intense uh, historical points here in a moment. I want to extend some grace to you. I had a professional educator tell me once that even if you don't eat lunch, your head will bob in the early afternoon. It's okay if some of you are yawning and you... It's okay. I, by the way, I recently learned that in American church, church tradition, ancient American church tradition, they had a guy with a long pole go up and down the aisles and poke people when they're falling asleep. Maybe we could summon the ushers to, to, to do that. Anyway, I understand, and uh, I, 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 don't, I, I won't take it as a rejection of my remarks if you, if you bob your heads in that. The, even if you don't eat, it happens, okay? We come to Yahshua's time, and he's keeping the Sabbath clearly. The apostles are keeping the Sabbath clearly. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath-keeping for the people of Yahweh. It says in the book of Hebrews, Yahshua says, the Son of Man is sovereign even of the Sabbath. Elder Allen talked about that uh, last Sabbath. Now, there are people who say, no, no, there ain't no Sabbath anymore. So they have Yahshua rulership, showing rulership over an empty paper bag. I'm sovereign of the Sabbath, but it doesn't exist. Isn't that kind of dumb? Here's another clue that Yahshua looked ahead, expecting the Sabbath to be observed. He says, pray that your flight not be in the Sabbath or winter. Now, I'm from Chicago. I can tell you the winter has not been done away with. Guaranteed. <laughs> I know. So we, in parallel with that, the Sabbath is still up and running strong, and boy, am I glad it is. But European Christianity forgot the day. They forgot the day of the Sabbath. Uh, a remarkable book, I wish I had put it up here, um, From Sabbath to Sunday. It's a classic study of how the Sabbath started as the seventh day of the week, and in European Christianity it became Sunday. It was a transformation. Interestingly, I've been researching the destruction of the temple. I'm telling you, the Jews of the first century, they were kind of a, a wild bunch. They were a wild bunch. At least the ones who got the press, okay? The ones who got the attention of the Romans, they, they were wild, crazy, fighting with each other. While they were besieged by the Romans, they had a civil war within Rome. They were slaughtering each other. And so it was uh, natural for second-generation messianics to say, oh, how can we distance ourselves from that? And part of that formula was to embrace the first day of the week tradition. More on that in a bit. They forgot the day. European 
Christianity embraced the first day of the week. And they forced those changes on the rest of the world. It was through the Jesuits. So I'm not going to throw at you like, like, like a ton of boulders growing down a hill some historical facts that uh, throws light on this. The great reformers in the Christian world all came from Europe, lots of them from England, with very few exceptions. They all taught the Sabbath of, uh, of a principle. Now, they had the day wrong, and I'm going to explain how that happened in a bit. They got the day wrong. But I do not see how any Christian in good conscience can say, there's no Sabbath, Sabbath's done away with. Now, I know there's people out there who are listening to my words through the media and the outreach. They'll access the videos. I expect some people to, do, to, to go for the clickbait of the title I chose. But uh, this is a reality we have got to plug into. It is absurd on the face of it to think that European Christianity had no Sabbath. It's nuts. You can name almost any great reformer. John Wesley upheld the Sabbath. John Whitfield. Wilberforce upheld the Sabbath. Go download a text version of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Do a word search for the word Sabbath. You find one of the things he repents of is Sabbath breaking. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, taught the Sabbath. He was leery of taking a trolley car on Sundays to go to a church service and preach. Charles Finney, the great preacher of holiness, he taught Sabbath. Who in their right mind would say, oh, there's no Sabbath. They don't know what they're talking about. But just suppose you have some lingering doubts. We have an Academy Award-winning motion picture that documents the exploits of a British missionary boy who refused to run in the Olympics because it was a Sabbath, from his perspective. It was a Sunday. He says, I can't run on a Sunday. What's wrong with you people? How many people have seen Chariots of Fire? You know? The fact that it's an award-winning, uh, Academy Award-winning film doesn't make it right. The fact that it's an award-winning film means you can't ignore it. It's a factual documentation. I think the boy's name was Charles Liddell. So as recently as 1924, Christendom knew there was a Sabbath of some kind. Look it up, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. I think it was 1689. They have a jumbo section on the Sabbath. They got the day wrong. They all know it's a, there's a Sabbath. This is, this is crazy to say, oh, there's no Sabbath. It's all done away with. This is some cheap, new age, made up doctrine. I, it's something that's gushing forth from mankind's wicked heart. You know, even if your beliefs are different than mine, the scriptures say, I got to respect where you're at, and never lead you to sin. For example, if you believe you can't be eating meat, I can't be shoveling meat in front of you. We know this. I'd like you to go back with me in early American history. I don't know about England. Don't know about England. See, it's another thing come to mind. Alfred Hitchcock movie, 
just, it's a film made in the, uh, I believe, the 30s. And the police detective is asking a guy why he's running around on the Sabbath. You just happen to throw that into the dialogue. Everybody knew this. Two generations ago, a practicing Christian would not wash their car on Sunday. What's going on here? Go back with me in time. I don't know when it was. I don't know what town it was. But suppose you had an entire community of people observing Sunday as a Sabbath. And one merchant opens his shop on Sunday, creating a temptation for everybody else. Who was this guy? Who's the first guy to open his shop on a Sunday and create a stumbling block for his Christian friends? I'd love to know. I would love to know if there was pushback. You see, once one guy gets away with it, his competitors in town will feel obliged to do the same thing to keep up. Today, what is, uh, what is mainstream Christian observance? It's an hour or two of singing your lungs out. You go home and watch football while the others in the family go shopping. And I know there are Christians out there who grieve over that. They say something's wrong here. We've lost something in just a mere two generations. When I was a little boy as a Catholic, I was told, don't scold your parents if they do chores on Sunday. So they were teaching us Sunday as a, as a Sabbath principle. <coughs> How did this happen? Well, in Sabbath to Sunday by Samuel Bakiaki, I'll give you information if you ask me. Second generation messianics wanted to distance themselves from anything that looked Jewish. But this is in the Roman Empire. Outside the Roman Empire, your congregation kept the seventh-day tradition. This includes the St. Thomas Christians of Malabar. That's just what they call them. It's in southeast India. St. Thomas Christians of Malabar. Churches in China. This stuff is documented. I'll give you books on it. I'll give it to you. I'll buy them for you. Um... Churches of the East, Seventh-day Sabbath. The Ethiopian Church, Seventh-day Sabbath. The Celtic Church in England, Seventh-day Sabbath. Look it up. Um, the guy called St. Patrick, he kept the Sabbath on the seventh day. The pattern's very clear. If, you're, if your congregation is a spin-off of the Roman Church, you inherited a first-day tradition. If your congregation's outside the Roman Empire... You had the true seventh-day Sabbath. Then the Jesuits emerged. They ran around the world and changed everybody at the point of a sword. I happened to meet a, a St. Thomas Christian from Malabar in a parking lot. I literally got in a car accident with him, and we started talking religion. And he told me how the Jesuits got in there. And he says, my ancestors changed their beliefs only as much as they had to to save their lives. He's told me something else, too. He said to this day his children celebrate a festival in the spring involving unleavened cakes. Now, I didn't say anything, but I thought, mm, the Jesuits didn't teach him that. No, no. And you'll find these living fossils around the world, Sabbatarians still in pockets here and there. I recommend to you that uh, video series by Hal Holbrook, The Seventh Day. We watched it here as an assembly a few years ago, maybe, maybe more than a few years ago. But that's the pattern. If your church is a denomination spun off from Rome, you inherited a first-day tradition. 
that was a response, an anti-Semitic response to a desire to not look Jewish. But outside the Roman Empire, the saints were originally freed to worship Yahweh according to his word. And that's the bullet item here on the screen. European Christianity forces its changes on the world. But look at the mess we're in now. True revival is elusive. Do you understand the mess that mankind is in now? This, This mentality that Sunday is the real thing. It permeates the churches. If you bang on the internet, perhaps in YouTube, you'll find that there are Christian preachers trying to call for a return to Sunday. You know, and they will think that's revival. And I often pray, Father, send us all the revival we can handle. But if that revival does not include the true, original, verifiable seventh day, it's not a real revival. I'm not interested you know, I'd, I'd rather send my money here, okay? <laughs> and you're going to be tempted to get caught up in revivals that do not uphold the true Sabbath. We're in a situation in America where they think they got a revival if they got a manger scene in the town square. Yeah, I know he means well, but the president thinks we're making progress if we're saying Merry Christmas. Go back to my original theme. The evil one has developed this long-term strategy. It took him a long time to figure this out. But now he's got us painted in this corner where no matter where we step, we think we're getting out, but we're actually just stepping on the paint again. I shouldn't say we, because we who are here, we who have heard the call to holiness and personal reform and restoration, uh, we're not going to be tricked by this stuff. But I fear that there's a fake revival coming, one that gets people excited about only going back halfway to the truth, partial way. I hope that we can find ways to explain these things to people. You know, it's, you just don't know where they are in the, in the de-evolution of the Sabbath, the desecration of the Sabbath. Do they think there is a Sabbath? The commercial world has forced people to think that they've got to work on Saturday. I've I got to work on Saturday. And um, it may require a reduction in your lifestyle. You may not be able to afford that big, nice home. But Yahshua talks about forsaking all. You may not have the fine things, the opportunities. And uh, a lot of things may elude you. But that's a small price to pay. So because Sabbath has been uh, forgotten, the day changed, and then forgotten again, true revival is elusive. I'm going to put a summary on my points here because I'm almost done. There was something about Yahshua that, um, pay that your flight now be in the Sabbath of winter. The Son of Man is sovereign even of the Sabbath. Well, I don't see how anybody can say there is no Sabbath when Yahshua says he's sovereign of it. That is kind of, kind of ridiculous. Sabbath desecration has been a long-term process. I'm almost done, friends. Maybe that's appropriate for a post-fellowship meal meeting. Okay? The Sabbath desecration has been a long-term process. I think the defilement of mankind has been a long-term process. 
Now we have a situation where true revival is very elusive. People will think they have a revival, but they're, they're not really, they're really not in Yahweh's plan and Yahweh's framework. There are times we are going to feel very lonely, even though we can verify everything we teach and believe, we can verify it to a high level of confidence, people will not be interested. Now think about it. Mankind's situation is kind of, kind of desperate, you know, but is it possible that your personal revival also has a long way to go? You may be spiritually blinded right now. Yes, the saints right here in this room. Every one of us may be spiritually blinded because we have false targets, false expectations. I have learned that one of the greatest detriments to people's spiritual walk is where they lay an expect no, an, a demand at Yahweh's feet. And if Yahweh doesn't come through, they walk away in bitterness. I have a master who says, I've got to forsake all. And there are times when the call to sacred duty has to overrule what I do or what I want to do. What about you? It would not be appropriate to get into specifics. But if we think about the way the Sabbath has been desecrated, and it's possible to enter a false sense of revival, thinking, oh, I'm keeping Sabbath. <laughs> By the way, I've heard that um, in ancient America, they kept Sabbath from Saturday night to Sunday night. Can you imagine? That's how close they were. But it wasn't close enough. There's, there's likely ways in which every one of us has some cultural barrier between us and Yahweh and we don't know and we think it's normal. This might explain things in the Bible that bother us. We look at say, why, why did Abraham do that? Uh, why, did, why did David do this? You know, and <clears throat> Yahshua is giving us, though, the highest calling to be like him, to follow him. And your personal revival likely has some things that got to be flushed out. And I urge you to go back and find out what those things are. From my perspective, the time for talk has ended. I, I want everything cleaned out. It, it's it's going to be tough. But I'd rather, have, <clears throat> I'd rather have that than anything less. I thank you for listening. Please use this Feast of Tabernacles as a launching pad for your own personal revival, realize that you may have a long way to go. You may, we, we may not be better, any better than anybody else out there. That Each one of us has stuff in the closet, uh, bowling balls, ball and chains tied to us, things we're going to have to let go of. And uh, if we have some situation that's real hard to get out of or we don't know what to do next, uh, I believe Yahweh will deliver you. No, I know he'll deliver you if you cry out to him. Thanks so much for listening uh, in this post-fellowship meal uh, setting. Brother Jose, I'm going to turn the meeting back to you now.